Well, crazy, not, you know, insane. It's just abnormal to go say this doesn't exist in the world. I'm going to make something that people don't know about and they don't want yet. They don't even know they want it. That's going to change what they do. And it's going to be great for a certain crowd. And uh, everything that exists now, podcasts, uh, uh, water bottles, uh, smartphones, and the rest, it was created by somebody who did a crazy thing. It looked crazy before it was obvious and normal. So I've been part of that. We don't talk about this like the innovation game, but when we're creating new things, it always looks silly, sounds silly until it's big and obvious. And so it just seems crazy. And by the way, when I say this to a crowd of entrepreneurs, you know, everybody knows the crazy ones say, yeah, I'm crazy. I'm doing things that are not normal. Most of us never learned how to train our brains, which is why most of us needlessly settle, struggle, and worse, suffer. My name is Chris Doris, and I want to make brain training mainstream. This is my series, Tough Talks, Conversations on Mental Toughness. I'm interviewing badasses from all walks of life on what mental toughness means to them and their unique approaches to strengthening their minds. Hey everybody, welcome back to Tough Talks, Conversations on Mental Toughness. I am your host, Chris Doris. And before we get to our guest today, our typical housekeeping item is, uh, if you know, if you're not getting, if you're not getting the daily dose mental toughness tips in 30 seconds or less, Deliver it to your email inbox every morning of the year, right? Around 6 or 7 a.m., wherever you are on the planet. That's an outreach, absolute outreach. Uh, if you're not getting notified of my blog posts that go out every Tuesday, and if you're not getting notified of these new uh, Tough Talks podcast episodes, did I say podcast a second? I meant blogs on Tuesdays, blogs. And then the podcast episodes, if you're not getting all that stuff, that gold is is free so let's change that shall we all right so go to christopherdoris.com backslash lists l-i-s-t-s name email click boom all the goodies are yours now our guest today his name is greg head and i'm going to read you he's got a great bio so greg head uh so he's written his bio in, in first person so this is how i'll read it During my 30-year career as a leader in the software and technology business, nothing has been more rewarding to me than creating big and meaningful companies and working with great people. I was fortunate to be part of the start-up-to-scale stages of three great companies that have since created over $2 billion in total revenue in the CRM software industry. For example, okay, as an early employee and product manager for ACT, the best-selling Windows contact manager uh, in the 90s, eventually used by 4 million salespeople. He's a co-founder and marketing leader, uh, was co-founder and marketing, is co-founder and was marketing leader of SalesLogix, the first mid-market CRM software, which went public in 99. He was bought by Sage uh, in 2001 for $300 million. He's the president and general manager of ACT with over 200 global employees from 1999 to 2004. And... He was the CMO, Chief Marketing Officer at Infusionsoft, where he saw growth soar from 15 to $100 million. He is the host of the Practical Founders Podcast, which, uh, with useful articles and other resources for the growing tribe of serious, love that, using the word tribe, for the growing tribe of serious startup founders who are building software companies without big funding. There's never been a better time to be a practical founder. And he is the uh, founder, creator of Greg's List, gregslist.com. Check that out. That's fascinating. So what it is, is is the curated, up-to-date list of local software companies that's used by thousands of founders, tech execs, investors, job seekers, and community leaders every month. So they update the list monthly with new information. Greg's List is now available for tech communities in the following cities, Phoenix, where it started it here, but it's grown 11 additional cities. Phoenix, Salt Lake City, Dallas, Austin, Boston, Atlanta, Chicago, and Toronto. That's pretty remarkable. And um, he's a proud father of two young adults, husband of 27 years, 
Uh, he and his wife live in the Dallas area now where uh, she is originally from and spent 23 years here in Phoenix before moving back to Dallas in 2019. And when he's not working, he likes to run, read, swim, and play guitar. Uh, his family spends summers and winters in Park City, Utah. That's nice. Where we ski, they ski, hike, and hang out. It's pretty sweet. I can't wait to get into his cranium because uh, I have not interviewed someone from his niche. And, you know, I, I can't believe that. Like, he's got to have a lot of goodies for us into the inner workings, the inner world of the crazy entrepreneur. All right, he's here waiting for us. Let's go find him. Where are you at, Greg? And there he is, Greg Head, folks. What's up, my man? Hey, Chris. Good to be with you today. Oh, I appreciate that. I appreciate the time. Quick shout out to Steve Hardison for the introduction. And um, I just told folks all about you, Greg. And my first question, as you know, this is a podcast. It's entitled Tough Talks, Conversations on Mental Toughness. And the reason that I even have this podcast is because I want to educate people on what mental toughness means from different perspectives, from all kinds of different people in the world, right? And uh, because each, each guest... My Tough Talks tribe will identify differently with each guest. You know, some tribe right. members will identify, uh, I think a lot of, tell you the truth, a lot of uh, the Tough Talks tribe members are, are going to very closely identify with you because they're in the same world, in the same industry. So I'm excited. I haven't had a guest like you, and I would love uh, to hear, in your words, I read your bio, but in your words, what do you do? Well, I did uh, uh, 30 years in the startup venture capital funded software business. So I did that crazy startup game before startups were cool uh, in the 90s and the 2000s and the 2010s. And I did it a bunch of times from little crazy team um, creating a new thing that what didn't exist in the world and growing it up into a big business with big funding. So that's its own crazy game itself. And about five, six years ago, I stopped doing the super crazy game. And I did my own version of crazy, which is helping the next generation of uh, software startup entrepreneurs of all types and everywhere uh, create their own thing, change the world and do it their way. So now I'm a advisor, investor, consultant, and I instigate in software communities uh, in different regions. These days I'm in Dallas and I help in Phoenix and, um, and I've got a couple other projects that help out with that. So now I help the crazy people who are building our future yeah, with their own businesses. Everywhere, all right? You've got a yeah. hell of an internet presence, of course, <clears throat> but I mean, on, on greghead.com, you click on it and the first thing you see is I help what well, you just said, really. I help crazy software entrepreneurs to change the world and to do it their way. Yeah. So uh, what do you mean by crazy? Well, crazy, not, you know, insane. Oh. It's just abnormal to go say this doesn't exist in the world. I'm going to make something that people don't know about and they don't want yet. They don't even know they want it. That's going to change what they do. And it's going to be great for a certain crowd. And uh, everything that exists now, podcasts, uh, uh, water bottles, uh, smartphones, and the rest, it was created by somebody who did a crazy thing. It looked crazy before it was obvious and normal. So I've been part of that. We don't talk about this like the innovation game, but when we're creating new things, it always looks silly, sounds silly until it's big and obvious. And so it just seems crazy. And by the way, when I say this to a crowd of entrepreneurs, yeah. you know, everybody knows the crazy ones say, yeah, I'm crazy. I'm doing things that are not normal. That's really more the appropriate term is uh, it sounds better than abnormal. Abnormal is just not what everybody does. So right. generally uh, entrepreneurs uh, of all types and there's the craziest ones do big adventures, global adventures in the software industry with big funding. Um, are the least normal people around. We kind of fake it, but uh, we're actually kind of abnormal. That's exactly what I want to talk about. That's, that's why I wanted you on the show. That's the <laughs> mindset I want to unpack with you, man. Can we talk about that? Yeah, let's play. 
Let's What's, do it. Okay, so I love that crazy, right? That's a good. So one of the so as a a mental toughness coach, the biggest obstacle that I have observed people coming up against, right? The pursuit and creation of their desires, their ultimate desires, is what I refer to as the how obstacle. Operating from the belief that they need to have full clarity on how this is going to work before I can get infinitely committed to it. Right. Only crazy people could do that. Well, uh, meaning uh, entrepreneurs are committed to an idea before it's figured out. Like it's not obvious in the world. I don't know how I'm going to get the last million people. I just need to go. I need to start. I need to get one and then two and then three and four and 10 and 100 and 1,000 and the rest. And um, that's not normal. Normal is going to school and taking the courses that are prescribed and following along and getting the grades and getting the job and showing up at work at eight o'clock and like do all that normal stuff, right? And so entrepreneurs are creating something that wasn't there. So that's abnormal. And they're moving on it before it's the vision is completely clear. And yes. in the modern entrepreneurship, software, tech, whatever, big conversation, uh, the modern way is if you have worked out all the details, you're either late or you got half the details wrong. So you have to get enough figured out to start because the world's going to tell you what it needs and what it wants and what it doesn't want and how it's going to work. And uh, so all those entrepreneurs that say, I need to figure it all out before I start, uh, half of it's going to be wrong. So, um, you know, the other side, I guess you could say is starting before you have worked out anything, which is kind of silly, but um, somewhere in between. So like I work with founders all over the place and the ones who get the most done, figure it out fast and start moving. It's, it's less about being the smartest person in the room mm. or having all the resources, the infinite funding. And it's more about moving fast, being savvy and not dying. Okay. Can we slow that down? Yeah. So there's a whole bunch of stuff in there. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Moving fast, being savvy. I want to hear what you mean by that. Yeah. And not dying. Is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah. Good. Let's hear it. The world is conspired. Okay. So moving fast means getting just enough information and then trying something before it's perfect, uh, before it's obvious. This is why com big companies can't do innovation very well is because they have a very high perfection level for a lot of reasons, right? We want our hamburger to come out in 60 seconds, just the right way and all of that. Uh, but all entrepreneurial adventures, all new career adventures, all you know, new adventures start off with uh, just, just start, you know, do enough thinking to just start and learn as you go. And it's very hard for big companies to do that, but that's kind of the, the game. Uh, and the faster you learn, faster cycle time, tried this, didn't work, tried this, work, tried this, kind of worked, uh, find that. The faster you go, the more cycles you get, um, the faster you can grow and improve and do all that kind of thing. And you can't do it when you're at a whiteboard mm. and you can't do it. But when you're a big company, that it has to be perfect or everybody gets fired. So that's the superpower of entrepreneurs and startup founders and all those crazy inventors is they can start with imperfect and move fast and improve quickly. So that's one thing. Okay. Um, the uh, I say what, what were my three there, Chris? Okay, so moving fast, being savvy, and not dying. Okay. Which is yeah, yeah. So moving fast is like, you know, Facebook's uh, move fast and break things was Facebook's motto, you know, their internal thing. Now it's move fast and don't break it too hard is kind of their big version. But, you know, they, they knew that was a superpower. Um, be savvy. Like uh, it's it's really a savvy game to create a company, to create a restaurant, to create a podcast, consulting, speaking business. It takes a lot of savvy about tactical things, how things work and what's happening in the world, how to communicate and how to do financials. And, you know, that takes a lot of uh, savvy, um, which is a little, I'll just call that different than uh, 
the genius smarts that some people have or the advanced education that other people have, mm. uh, which means they're smart people. But uh, so I think savvy is just smart plus like a practical, figure outable, uh, you know, capability. So to be successful, you actually have to be pretty savvy about things and create a business. Like there's, if you see, hear the stories of big, com- small, little companies that grew big and they tell it in hindsight, there's always a lot of savvy. Normal people um, don't have that don't have some of the insights and the capabilities there. So um, the last thing is that to to not get a normal job and to create a new thing that you're brain says they get, there's a crowd out there that has a problem and I'm going to have a new solution that I'm going to invent and sell to them and make a business and everything. It's not a normal kind of thing, really. So you kind of, I mean, for one, you kind of, it's, it, I, I call it like the, uh, you know, the immigrant mentality okay. ethic. What do you mean? The frontier ethic, like people a uh, hundred years ago that went into Texas and went out West, right. Yeah. Left the big city. Uh, left their home country and came over on a ship. It's a lot more like the entrepreneurial ethic of, um, you know, being crazy and being abnormal and doing uh, big things that way. Okay. So I have a million questions from all of that. that. That's gold right there. All right. That is at the heart of why this podcast exists. And so, and so Chris, can I just stop there and repeat? Yeah, all the people because startups are cool now. When I was doing startups in the 90s, before they were called startups, before they're cool, we were just misfits doing things we loved that were really useful with technology and building businesses out of it and just, you know, in the firefight in loving it. But these days, startups is cool. The money is sounds cool. Everybody wants to, you know, graduate from college and do a startup. Uh, But startups are really brutal. Brutal adventures, and most of them don't work, right? So there's just kind of this misconception that everything's easier than it seems to be. Uh, in you know, when you're creating something new and growing a business, um, so yeah, I, I I spend a lot of time with entrepreneurs telling them, no, this is way harder than you thought it was, and you haven't even started yet. It's hard. It's not impossible. It's just hard. So. That's just the game there. But uh, that's it, right? That's the mentality is being cool. So brutal is an interpretation. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, everybody that I've ever known, coached, worked with, studied, observed, has pulled off badassery is cool with brutal. Yeah. Like there's not a problem with brutal. Yeah, it's not gonna, it's not it would kill it would, it would it stops most people. Yeah, okay. Right. Like the 15th mile of the marathon, I don't know whenever it gets hard or whatever it is, right? Yeah. Will you climb a mountain and you're, yes, you, you got all your stuff to the foot of the mountain and then you get up there and then it gets really hard. Like it stops most people, most of the way, you know, halfway up. Okay. So let me ask you this. I've been, I've interviewed an ultra marathoner, Ryan Lang here. And he talks about an ultra marathoner, right? Yeah. And um, also Walt Hampton, two ultra marathoners. They talk about like not listening to the bullshit inner voice saying, yeah, it's going to work. It's too hard. You're done. And overriding that. Yeah. Overriding the inner chatter that says, you, this is too hard. You can't do it. Let me ask your opinion on this. Yeah. Uh, do So I guess I'm kind of calling out like software crazy, funded or not funded entrepreneurs who are creating startups that turn into bigger companies, which is just different adventure than small businesses, which are also hard. It's just a crazier version of the adventure. You know, do do the and I've spent time with 500 software founders a year, and I've been doing this a long time, and I spend time with a lot of investors. Um, I invest, I you know play all this game here. Um, are they better at keeping themselves in the game because they have a better self talk when it gets hard? Probably they could be more delusional, delusional that it's not that hard, you know, and then they get into it. Um, uh, you know, I, I just think I, I, I'm my version of the story. I don't know what the self-talk is. I come from the Midwest back in the seventies, eighties, nineties, and, you know, it, I've only been in a startup growth game. So the really hard game for a long time. So I don't know what normal people do and we don't use, we don't have a lot of introspection about it. We just go and 
you kind of do hard well, things. So okay. that's huge. That's so, huge. Well, I don't know. I don't know. I'm here now. Like, no, that's a big deal. That's my excuse. But um, yeah, we don't over deliberate. I'm busy acting. I'm busy acting, but not just acting. I'm busy acting from a place of certainty and confidence. Yeah, I just think we're we kind of know our secret sauce is we can do hard things. Oh. And I'm not a I'm not a superman or a super athlete or whatever, but like the crowd isn't going to do the hard things that crazy people do, crazy entrepreneurs do. That's why there is that's why almost nobody's going that direction. It's really hard. Uh, and then once you get in the game, growing a company from I have this idea to a small team to a few customers to ten of us a hundred of us, you know, a thousand of us, like we see the, the lore of the fast growing startup. Uh, every step of the way, like every year, there's nobody I've met who's grown a serious company who didn't say, oh, we had at least 10, probably 20, maybe 30 near death moments for the company. Like imagine in COVID, all these companies that sold the hotels and the hotels closed down and like, you know, uh, tons of, you know, it's really hard laying off your team. And, you know, like these are things that normal people don't want to do. So uh, that's why. So it's, there's so much mental toughness in this game. Yeah. Right? And that's a, my version of brutal. It's like, it's not normal toughness. Like, oh, I got to be on a test and I had a tough teacher and, you know, I don't know what, like hard stuff. Oh gosh, the flight was delayed or something like that. No, it's, um, I spent all of my net worth in the last 10 years building a company for the hotel industry. And all of a sudden COVID came along and I had to lay off 75% of my 30 employees, including my you know, family members to keep the company alive. And, and that was, you know, that was Monday. And then on Tuesday is, you know, like <laughs> uh, the money that I was going to raise didn't show up. And then Thursday is like, so, um, you know, there's a couple books about it that, uh, entrepreneurs could read that kind of give a sense to it in an emotional kind of way. The hard thing about hard things from Ben Horowitz, uh, entrepreneur turned investor, big VC Silicon Valley style guy talks about just, you know, you wouldn't believe it unless you heard it. And he kind of puts it out there in excruciating detail of the Silicon Valley VC funded hard things. And another one is um, uh, lost and founder. Great name. Yeah, about a small business owner, Grand Fishkin, who made, you know, search engine optimization services business and built some tools, got some funding and, you know, kind of goes through his personal challenges. There isn't an entrepreneur that doesn't have scars from the companies they've built. And, you know, those are kind of badges of honor, probably to most entrepreneurs. Okay. So is that, is that, are people born entrepreneurs or is this mentality, is it learnable? That's a good question. I wasn't born an entrepreneur. Um, so some people kind of are. Um, I would say, I just, I, I don't know. I don't think most people who work for big companies can go out and do startups. They just kind of have to rewire themselves and most can't do it. Um, uh, most inventors, people with tons of ideas never build a real company which is a totally different sport kind of thing. So I'd say uh, it's figure outable for sure. And I would just say the character traits that I'm looking for is they know they're not normal. They're not trying to do what everybody else is doing. And that would just seem silly to them. Just, you know, cause we're kind of moving back from it and say, you know, why don't, yes, I understand a college degree is this, but it's all online. So why don't I just do that? Right. Like, Normal people aren't doing it. all college degree information is available for free online and almost nobody's <laughs> getting that information. So normal people aren't doing this, but some people are and are learning French in two months or something like that. So, so um, I just think they're, they know they're not normal. You would like, that's my favorite thing, which is uh, when I'm talking to an entrepreneur, there's always something that they're not normal. It's like, how are you not normal? Why are you a misfit? And What'd you do that was really strange to everybody else? And there's always a story. So, you know, that's probably the trait that I'm looking for. Uh, and what investors look for. VC investors, they don't invest in normal people. They invest in people who are just on fire with a crazy new idea. 
yeah. you know, working day and night to do it. So it's not just hard work, they're savvy and so forth, but they're betting on people who, when the dragons come to take them down, COVID, competition, whatever it is, they're just going to get right through it. And, uh, or they have the best chances of not dying when they, that hits. A couple of things. What are some questions you ask someone to discover if that's the way they are? And are you, you're working specifically with people that don't want big funding, right? They want to. Well, yes, most of them. Um, well, there's a lot of confusion about that, which is why I launched Practical Founders, mm-hmm. uh, practicalfounders.com, that everybody assumes that most software companies and startups are getting funding and venture investment, because that's all we hear about and yeah. news and all of yeah. that. But uh, literally 75% of software companies on my Greg's list of 6,000 software companies in 12 cities. Congratulations on that, by the way. Yeah. Um, most software companies don't have big funding. It's the exception. And it's actually not useful for most software founders out there who aren't trying to play a globally massive, you know, shoot the moon game uh, kind of thing. So, so, uh, I think, so I'm going to distinguish between creating a small business, which is hard. Normal people don't do it. It's really hard. Got to do it for a long time. It's a lot of weight. Uh, and uh, to failure and all that kind of stuff out there with a, uh, a self-funded software startup, which is trying to create a bigger company and have thousands of customers. And it's more than a small business, but it isn't overjuiced with tens of millions of venture capital funding investments that have to pay back um, really fast. So that's an extreme sport. Right. So there's versions of the uh, the 5K, <laughs> which normal people don't do. Right. The marathon and the ultra marathon kind of thing. So. So how do you discern if someone has that, uh, that the crazy, the good crazy? I asked a minute ago, what are some questions? I threw two questions out. But the first one was, you know, what's how do you just it doesn't have to be what questions do you ask, but how do you figure out how can you tell? If somebody's got that savvy, if somebody is that, no, I will not die. I do not need to have all the answers before I take immediate bold action. How do you, yeah. how do you know? Well, savvy is different. Okay. Tell me about your customer. What is the problem? And then they, you know, they can go deep, right? Tell me about your software and then go deep, right? And there's a savvy. How do you okay. get a customer? There's a deep savvy as opposed to some naive, oh, I'll build it and they'll come or something. So savvy is one thing. Okay. Um, Kind of, do they have the dragon slaying, you know, ability to not die when tough times come? They've usually, they've got things in their life that, you know, tell me about your background. And usually those th- kind of things pop up. A lot of them are immigrants who came to the States. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's one. Mm-hmm. Like normal people don't do this. And it's really mm-hmm. hard to learn a new language and a new culture. So just by they, virtue or by nature of having gone to the effort of immigrating, you know, that person has courage. Yeah. And they're abnormal. They know they're out there not being a normal person. Right. Mm-hmm. They, uh, and they see the world differently. And so uh, they'll tell, you can find stories about it. So one of the companies that I invested in, invested in is a, young engineer in Cincinnati and he's got a couple ideas and all of this. And then he starts talking and he says, you know, I was a college athlete. Athletes are, have a lot of characteristics, right? If you're a college athlete or a professional athlete, you're doing really hard things regularly that normal people won't do. Um, but he said things like um, he was very savvy about his business and he was doing the hard things and, you know, ticked off 10 things he did in the last month in his business that, are really hard and we just got them done. But he said, yeah, well, you know, back in the a few years ago, I won a, a bodybuilding competition and I did it in four months. I started training and I, you know, like normal people don't do this and they, you know, don't put them through the grind and figure things out and hurry up and do it. So he's kind of a speed freak when it comes to that. So I'm looking for abnormal uh, and savvy. Yeah. By well- the way, I mean, like that sounds kind of easy or whatever, but, but most people are normal and most people don't have a really deep savvy yet. Like most people, like I go to speak at uh, entrepreneurship programs at universities and there's a bunch of normal kids 
were immigrants and never had a hard job and, you know, didn't do really crazy things. And they're doing their pitches about their companies. And you realize when the first cold wind blows, it's, you know, uh, it's probably going to take them out. So most people aren't, aren't really built for the hall. Like, by the way, entrepreneurs are not built for doing normal things either. We're not good at that. We're just, this is our crazy superpower. But even the, <clears throat> so even the dragon slayers have fear. I would say. It, right? Like how many humans other than like Byron Katie, who's done decades and decades right. of reprogramming of her neurology. Right. Who else is free of fear? Like enlightened people. Right? Like, yeah. It's one of the biggest fears for these. Yeah. To me, uh, the fear thing is real. This is treacherous stuff. It's like climbing Everest, you know, uh, usually doesn't work. <laughs> when you have an idea and you want to say someday we'll be big, it usually doesn't work and it's really hard. So um, there's fear in there, but I think entrepreneurs and startup founders and the people that join these startup causes um, have less fear about those kind of things. Fear is as Steve Hardison would say, false evidence appearing real, right? Yeah, yeah. So they can kind of manage that in a little way. So they, some of them are just uh, a little more fearless about things. We don't worry about it as much as other people. And there's also a, you know, if you talk to them, they know that this is hard and it could fail and all of that. And you get behind the curtain with them. Their courage is overcoming their fear. They've got a bigger, important thing to do in the world that pulls them to overcome that negative emotion. Yes, I got to do it anyway. So uh, that's part of what entrepreneurs are creating for themselves. Something so compelling that I'll do the work to overcome whatever challenge, you know, fears and emotions that would uh, hold me back. You know, the whole, it usually doesn't work thing. Uh, I'm fascinated by that. Right, like all of this whole conversation that we're having right now, what I'm so fascinated in is actually the uniqueness of how entrepreneurs interpret reality in contrast to how most people do. Yeah. Damn different is what I'm getting from you. Yeah. By the way, this is one of the reasons I got Greg's list of practical founders because I can't hang out with normal people. <laughs> and you're not normal and all of that. But like, you know, if we're not changing the world and beating our head against the wall and right crazy ambition well, you add, so when you, okay so again on 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 greghead.com when you know it says i help crazy software entrepreneurs to change the world which is that's ambitious right and impressive but there's more and you make it harder after that it's not over and you say and do it their way and their way is underlined yeah why well um i think the we talk about the whole software startup, grown big company, software is everywhere these days. And uh, there's a lot of success and hype around startup and funding and so forth. Um, you can create a software company that millions of people use or, you know, that changes their world, puts a dent in the universe. Uh, but when you really raise big funding, you're the path the timeline, the bounds, the uh, uh, creativity, the about way, way to serve your customers, serve your employees, uh, and build a company, you get less leeway when you raise big funding. And so I encourage most founders, I'm not against funding, and I did the big VC funding thing for 30 years, so I appreciate it's a game. It's just not for everybody. Um, you get a lot more way to do it on your own terms and create the company you want when you don't have VC investors whipping your horse and telling, you know, keeping you in the guidelines and so forth. So, so um, it's one of the reasons entrepreneurs are entrepreneurs is we don't want to do it some other way. My wife kind of hates this about me. She says, do this. And I say, well, what are we trying to solve here? She said, I, can you just do what I told you my way? I'm like, it's really hard, but I could do it. I'll try. Uh, yeah. So doing it their way is really important to a bunch of entrepreneurs. And they, not everybody knows how much um, optionality, uh, how much, you know, how much uh, inflexibility comes when you raise big funding, even though everybody talks about it and everybody assumes everybody gets big funding. Most don't. And so 
it's uh it's only a game for a certain kind of startup at a certain phase that wants to play that game. Have you ever met anybody that that you that you saw more in them than they saw in themselves and, and influenced them to see that, you know, uh, maybe have more fear than you thought they, they really needed to. I'm not sure if I'm articulating that right, but um, that you coached into, you know, being more of a dragon slayer. I try to do that. I've done that as a leader. Uh, I don't know, over thousands of people have worked for me through the years and that's, uh, helping them yes. be the kind of person that they need to be yeah, personally yeah. and professionally is pr- fundamental to leadership, I would say. Sure. And so now I'm leading, if you will, without them working for me or reporting to me or whatever. Yeah. I'm helping to create in them a clearer version of envision of what they are and what they're creating and what they're capable of. So when I say entrepreneurship is brutally hard and it mostly doesn't work. You know, if you're, you're doing a big thing uh, that scares away some people, but most people are entrepreneurs are attracted to that. And they're just encouraged that I say, it's totally possible. You can do it. Woman, immigrant, young, old, right. I've seen all types of people do amazing things. It's just hard and it's going to take longer than you thought. And it takes a lot of savvy and a little luck and not dying when, you know, the challenges come. Um, I offer a lot of encouragement to people and like, literally, if I, if I say to a crowd, it's really hard and it probably won't work, but there's a chance I scare away most people. Oh, oh, I don't want to do that. And the crazy entrepreneurs stand up and say, yes, right. Thank you. So with, you know, I don't have to do it with big funding. Funding isn't bad. It's, you know. Big funding is just a flavor of the sport that's you know unique here. It's kind of like saying everybody needs to go to college and everybody needs right. to go to an Ivy League school. It isn't true. Ivy League schools aren't bad. It's just really not for everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, <clears throat> what I love about uh, you know your brand and your language, especially underlining their way. You know, I refer to myself often as a success coach, and what that what I mean by that is my definition of success is having your life on your terms. Yeah. Right. And I, <laughs> part of the conditioning of our past is uh, we've been, we've been uh, influenced to believe that our way is not necessarily available. Right. right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm part of the bucket. I'm, I'm part of the bucket brigade of encouraging, you know, encouragement to serious founders to go create companies and succeed and, a, and part word. of the help, you know, Serious appears all over in your internet. The word serious. There's a lot of people do it. I'm not the only one who does it. I'm just slightly crazier than others. (laughs) So speaking of some more nomenclature, you know, you, you, why is it called your latest venture now, right? Practical founders. And it's also the name of your podcast, practicalfounders.com. And, uh, and you have a podcast by the same name, practical founders. Talk to me about, the descriptor practical. Well, um, I've been working in the software industry and hanging out with crazy founders and entrepreneurs and people creating software companies for all, you know, 35 years, something like that. And uh, talking to 500 founders a year for the last seven years, another crazy kind of thing. Uh, Most people, so founders create startups that hope of being a very big company someday, pretty sizable. Um, small business owners create businesses that aren't trying to be a hundred times bigger, right? Wow. So there's owners and founders. Founders is and founders is a new kind of fetish word that's got a lot of hype for the ones who say I'm going to change the world and get rich, right? With my crazy tech startup. Um, but most people, you know, the if if you looked from the outside and you looked as a student coming in and you looked as somebody in the ecosystem, you'd think that everybody gets big funding there and does it, you know, the shoot the moon Silicon Valley way, like we see in the Facebook movie and so forth, that just, you know, explosion of growth and, and all that kind of stuff. That's the exception. And I, having talked to not just the VC funded ones and the success, you know, uh, successful ones, the ones that survived their survivor bias winners. Um, 
there's a lot more serious, successful, fast-growing uh, companies out there that don't raise big funding that are being very practical about their growth. And they, they actually like the word practical. They say it's, it's kind of an oxymoron. Founder is slightly crazy and practical means uh, I'm not that crazy. Right. So, so they like the term there it's, and I have fun with that. And it's a contrast to what everybody expects is everybody's trying to shoot the moon and be a unicorn billion dollar valuation and get on the cover of a magazine and right. All of that. And the, you know, those, those kind of billion dollar uh, venture funded success stories, it was crazy. You know, the apps that everybody use a Slack or TikTok or whatever um, is literally 1% of 1% of funded software companies. So, you know, um, most are way more practical outside Silicon Valley, all over the world, India, Europe, you know, outside of Silicon Valley here in North America, um, there's startups all over the place that are creating a company and building a software product out of that company, self-funding it, spending two years coding it. It's kind of uncool, if you will. And uh, it's cool to sell your company uh, five years later for $45 million. Yeah, I heard that's cool. Yeah, that's pretty cool. They're making more money than the cool venture capitalists who said, you're not cool unless you get venture capital. But um, yeah, that's, uh, you know, that's pretty exciting. It's practically exciting. Is to no, I'm serious. Like to, you know, I work two jobs for four years. I've got my day job, and then at night I'm working on this thing, and slowly gets revenue going and customers, and I figure out things, and I get savvy, and I'm, then I finally quit my day job and go all in. And I take another three years, and I grow it to a four million dollar revenue software business, which these days is still valued twenty to forty to fifty million, sometimes more. It's pretty exciting, and then they do it again. And then they do it again. Because what else would you do? What else you don't play you? golf. <laughs> Which is cool too. Yeah. Uh, yeah so that do. happens 20 times more than the big unicorn funding go public. Cool. Success stories, which are also cool. So you said something right there that really caught my attention. Um, all in. You said then they go all in. Yeah. You threw that out in there. And that, that's, that, 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 that language catches my attention because inspired by my work with Steve Hardison and the whole TBOLIT NFL thing. Uh, I created an audio program called All In, which is about what you just described, really, which is getting infinitely committed, right? And how powerful we yeah. are. We're infinitely right. Committed. That's really, that's, I mean, that's a fundamental characteristic, right? Of a successful entrepreneurs. At some point, you got to get all in. Yeah, I would say it's necessary. I mean, it's really important, like to be, believe you could be successful, to stand in the midst of COVID, lay off half, an, half your employees, at a company because your market changed immediately and say, and we're still going to win the prize, right? That's uh, to, to have that kind of uh, courage and belief. I call uh, CEOs of growing companies, the chief believer officer, when all the threats and challenges and dragons come off, they, you know, they, you know, they're the CEO and they're in charge of cash and they're in charge of leaders and they're in charge of the strategy of the company. They're also in, the ultimate believer in things when it gets hard. Everybody looks to generally one person that says, if, you know, it's going to be okay. When you change the world and you say, nobody's using Facebook, but somebody, someday everybody will be, you're the chief believer officer that has to take that to the world to change everybody's mind. Uh, software doesn't change people's minds, the people behind it. The world is, you know, it's a creation and create, creation comes from people. So, so uh, that's another one out there. And so that kind of belief is kind of an, I'd call it all in, right? We're kind of hyper committed. You know, there's an irony in it. Like entrepreneurs get really hyper committed and it doesn't work. And they're like, oh, throw that out. I'm hyper committed over here, right? So that's the interpretation, out. see? So yeah. Steve's coming up a lot, but uh, you know, one of my favorite quotes of Mr. Hardison is there's no failure in my world, just lots and lots of attempts. Yeah. Right. And that yeah. gets back to the interpretation of like, so that fit, did you fail? No, it's, that just didn't work. So let's go do this one. Yeah. I think there's a lot of, uh, 
I don't know, like there's way more failure out there than people could see. And it's way harder than people could see way harder on the founders and their teams and their employees and their customers. Right. Way, like it, we only hear the success stories. We're not hearing about the rest of it. And, um, uh, right. Yeah. Well, I mean, by there's by that quote and I, and I love that, like there's no failure in I'm using air quotes here for people that are just listening, uh, is a construct. It's a way of interpreting a set of, yeah, yes, I, get it. I believe that you didn't get what you wanted. So, so these entrepreneurs, successful entrepreneurs respond very, very differently to failure than normal people. Yeah. Another way of saying that that might be useful to people who are playing this game or thinking about starting a company or whatever is, you know, the startup game is like a phase of a company. Like there's this hype around startups and startups are cool and so forth, but startups are really just a phase of experimentation to find something, a customer who will buy this new thing from you and enough of them to turn it into a business. And then it becomes a business, fast growing business that pays back investors and so forth. So startup is not an ultimate state, but startups are experiments. We haven't figured it out yet. I got a startup and people say, clap, yay. No, uh, I'm going to run the experiment. I tried to sell it to them and they didn't want to buy my product. Okay. That's a test. And is that a failure? No, it's just, I, it's good information. So you hear what I'm saying? It's like a scientific method of uh, learning what works and what doesn't work, um, which is kind of abnormal, right? Most people don't want to do things that don't work very often. Um, So, so that's why the cycle time, try this, see if it works, try this, see if it works. You know, like the faster you can cycle time, you more likely you're going to find the thing that works and keep trying, by the way, it never stops. If you say, I know the answer to get from 1 million business to 5 million or 10 million, uh, you may know the direction, you may know some of the principles of it, but you don't know what the adventure is going to be. So forward fast. It's always experiment and learning, experiment and learning, experiment and learning. So I interviewed Gary Ridge for the podcast. He's the CEO of the WD 40 company. All right. Do you know what WD stands for? No, do you? I just heard it on a podcast, an entrepreneurial podcast. You think to ask him, God. It's water displacement. Just a little factoid. Neither here nor there. That's cool. I would have been a good question for him. (laughs) So what did he say about? Yeah, uh, he said that in his company, and he doesn't call a team, it's a tribe. He's from Australia. He studies tribal cultures. Fascinating. And he said, we don't make mistakes. No mistakes are made here. They're just learning moments. Yeah. And it's not just nomenclature. It's a way of thinking. Like, yeah. It's not just ho- a hokey language, looking at life through mm-hmm. rose-colored glasses. It's a mentality. Yeah. I don't buy into that, that thinking that we just failed or that was a mistake. We screwed up or effed up. No, we, we just made an attempt. that We experimented with something. We didn't get the outcome we wanted. That's data. Let's use it. Move forward. Grow. Yeah. In startup land, most of us know we're making it up and trying shit and seeing if it works and adapting fast. And the more you do it, the more you're like, I think a little bit and I act a lot, right? You kind of lean that direction. I like that. I like but, that. But, I like uh, that. I like you know, just, just like enough, that. right? And then go. I think a little bit and I act a lot. That's nice. Yeah, I just made that up. So, Did you really? Uh, but like, that's kind of normal for startups. Like, like for people that are coming into the startup zone, first time startup owners, like, this is going to be a mess and it's an experiment, but hurry up, you know, go. And uh, we'll see if you survive kind of thing. So, uh, but for big companies, it's almost like telling them the sun is the moon when you play this mistakes are okay kind of thing. Right. (laughs) No, I mean, we're human and there isn't bad and they're not bad people and so forth, but the, just the normal organizational momentum of a large organization is fewer mistakes. Yes. You, this is what happens at every company that grows up. So careful what you ask for. And it's the innovator's dilemma, oh, wow. meaning bad. the big companies can't make mistakes and throw stuff against the wall and keep throwing and keep throwing and keep throwing. Uh, by the way, it's also difficult for big companies to go all in on a new innovation. Which isn't that so interesting, right? The irony inherent with that, because all big companies weren't big at some point. Well, the ultimate irony is the crazy entrepreneur with all this experimentation and fast moving, you know, flexibility and all that kind of stuff to be successful, change the world, get millions of users and win a big prize. 
they actually have to build something that isn't able to experiment so much, right? <laughs> and try. It's one what of the most game. difficult things. Very, very, almost no companies are capable of Amazon and Google and Facebook are still pretty good at it, but most big companies are not good at innovation. You actually have to be unnatural for a big company to be good at innovation. You have to be unnatural? Yeah, I mean, like Amazon, like Jeff Bezos said, we're going to be the only public company in the 2000s that says, uh, I really don't want you to pay attention to my earnings. I'm just going to keep experimenting and investing. Okay. Okay. And he was, yeah. he was kind of punished for it. They threw rocks at him for 10 years. And then we realized, oh, thanks, Jeff. Right. Yeah. It doesn't always work, by the way, like the big new innovation idea. So like uh, it happened to do that. And Google is very good at that as well. So, so it's possible. Yeah. So um, in 2004, I believe you started Greg's List. Uh, 2016. Really? It wasn't until 2016? Well, I mean, that was... So my uh, research was... Yeah, it was freaking uh, six years ago. So, you know, that's a long time in tech world. Did you... Yeah. Did you save the um, gregslist.com in 2004 or something like that? How no, I, no. Maybe you bought the URL in 2004. with the Yeah. Site. Well, people like, literally, when I was sending around my list of software, people I was helping in Phoenix, uh, I left the latest software company. I got to 100 million in Phoenix called Infusionsoft. Started yeah. helping my friends that weekend. Clay, yeah. And, uh, and a whole bunch of gang of great people. And... Uh, that weekend, I just started helping my friends who are running software companies. I'm going back to the crazy early stage and, uh, and helping them out. And pretty soon after a couple months of helping so many out, I had a list in my Evernote list software on my phone of 100 software companies. I went back to Clade and others and said, hey, you know, there's 100 software companies here in Phoenix. And they said, no, there isn't. There's just us and a few others that we can see. But there was way more going on that people could see. And then people started asking me for the list and they would, you know. Finally, they started calling it. Can you send me your list of all the software companies and investors and job seekers? Funny how the entrepreneurs were saying a mindset thing. The Phoenix entrepreneurs, you can't do it in Phoenix. I don't know who started that rumor. I've done it twice and I'm not Superman. And uh, you can't make a great software company in Phoenix and there's no talent and there's not enough investment. And I'm like, mm, I still, I don't know who started that rumor. Um, but uh I was helping them, you know, grow up uh, as fast as they could. And finally, I published my list of all the software companies that I knew about in Phoenix of 120 software companies. And it blew people's minds. There's not a, it's over 100 software companies in Phoenix in 2016. Um, and when I, you know, came to Phoenix in 1996, there was 10 visible software companies in town, maybe something like that. So, you know, that was some growth or whatever, but literally over the next two years, the list went from 100 to 500. Like I just kept seeing more and I was out helping and doing all the pitch competitions and talking to all the investors and connector. I was a super connector kind of guy. And I finally just published my list and said, "You can you guys connect with each other? And it became kind of a beacon for Phoenix software startups. And nobody, by the way, a year later, I changed the mind. Nobody said there's nothing going on here and you can't do it in Phoenix after a year. There's 300 software companies and there's plenty going on. Now we can see it. So isn't that interesting? I didn't create it. I just made it visible. Yeah. And I changed how people thought about it and what was possible, Wow. which was pretty cool. And it was just a project and I put it on my website and updated the list. And, and now how, it up. 12, how many cities now? I got 12 cities and 6,000 companies and oh, now I'm in Dallas, right. my wife's hometown and Help out here in Phoenix. I go back to Phoenix all the time. And that's gonna be pretty heartwarming for you, man, to create that service for folks. Yeah, I, it's about 150,000 people a year get on Greg's list and do something useful. The, the heartwarming part is people high five me when I'm come back to Phoenix or run around Dallas or other places and say, I got a job because of Greg's list. I got an investment because of Greg. How good is that? Greg can help. So that's like a impact help project. I make a little money from it, but Mostly it's a curated list. We build a list. We find them. You want to find all the software companies in Phoenix that make a software product, yeah. funded or unfunded or whatever. You go to gregslist.com yeah. and see it. Likewise, Dallas. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. 
Yeah. So those are fun things uh, that I do. And as a byproduct of talking to so many founders. So what did we miss? Oh, I don't know. What do you uh, want to know? Yeah. Let's see. I would say there's this, I, you know, I play in the entrepreneurship game, but not in small business and not anything that's about software. Uh, it's not about software. So I help software founders and work in that industry. Uh, so a couple things that I mentioned before, but everybody ought to know that that big funding, grow a big company, become a billion dollar valuation, everybody gets super rich is 1% of 1% of the good guys that get funding. Uh, most software companies that are successful and for founders and successful for customers and employees don't have big funding and they're pretty practical out there. And that's a better way for software entrepreneurs to come in and play a game that works for them uh, that uh, doesn't get them on the drugs of big money. So on the drugs of big money, right. It's kind of an opioid crisis of people saying here, take some funding. And uh, it's not always that helpful and you can't get off the drugs by the way. So that's one. That's a really Uh, interesting analogy. Yeah. Um, The uh, another one is there's way more going on in software companies outside of Silicon Valley, even outside the U S than people can see. There are probably more startup founders. Like I'm talking about startup, software founders who are trying to build something and someday it'll be big, slightly crazy. Uh, there are probably more startup founders in India right now than there are in the US. It's an explosion that's happening worldwide and it's an entrepreneurship thing and I'm all for that. Uh, I think entrepreneurs solve a lot of the world's problems that big companies and governments won't solve and normal people won't solve. So I, I think that's how I help the world change by helping these entrepreneurs create something there. So there's a lot going on in that industry uh, where founders can be very successful for themselves um, if they don't take a lot of funding. So they can go to practicalfounders.com and hear some of those stories. And they're all very exciting and interesting and hear about the tough challenges that every, everybody goes through, uh, but it's not impossible. Awesome. Practicalfounders.com. Right on, man. I really appreciate you making time, Greg. Yeah. Thanks for letting me tell my stories there. And, uh, you know, I've never, I, I, I talk to founders all the time and this is always the toughness conversation is always there, but we're not talking about it. We don't use the word. So thank you for allowing me to, you know, talk about it and use words and describe it and stumble my way through that. I love that. That's so great. But but it's always there. Like, you know, the of ones it is. Right, right. You meet somebody's like Clay Mask, who's run a hundred million dollar software company and started it with his two brothers-in-law, right? Out of the dirt, you know, in the Phoenix area. Um, you know, that is a tough guy. You you would you your uh, hair would raise and when you talk when you hear about some of the stories of how they got there and the challenges and all that kind of stuff. So Never without challenges. I would send an invitation to Clay to be a guest on the top. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's, yes, yes. I say tough entrepreneur, like, like, I mean, he's a sweet guy and everything. I'm not like, he's not like a bully, but like, you know, mentally tough. And he's all that normal human that, you know, that every entrepreneur is with fears and hopes and challenges and disappointments and egos and all that normal stuff. You know, JK, Jonathan Kaiser? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He's a guest. Yeah. Was a guest here as well. Another slightly crazy guy. Well, slightly is generous there, buddy. Okay. Slightly generous. Love you, JK. Messin. All right, man. Really appreciate you making time for my tribe. Awesome. Happy to help. Thanks, Chris. Uh, thanks, Greg. It, you know, it's always it's always a good sign when at the end of an interview, I have pages and pages and pages of notes. I love the dragon slaying, dragon slaying. But I tell you, I think what, I, what, what my mind keeps coming back to, obviously, because as a mental coach, is why this whole podcast exists in the first place. And, and it was almost like Greg was just like, yeah, well, that's, I mean, that's how we roll, right? That's, that's, that's just like kind of normal. But I'm fascinated by it is how entrepreneurs interpret constructs like failure right or possibility 
So it's, it all comes back. You know, my whole world as a mental toughness coach always comes back to how are you interpreting reality? I mean, Jesus, that's a, like that's one way that I often define mental toughness in the first day in place is the ability that mental toughness is the result of all the practice that you do so that you are able to respond to reality intelligently with grace and mastery and creativity and enthusiasm you know and apparently that comes a lot easier to some people than others my belief is that with training we can all have that be our truths so uh thanks again as always for tuning in and until next time, create miracles.